Hello, and welcome back to Multimodal. This is a podcast hosted by yours truly, Bax T. Future. I'm a YouTube creator, mainly making videos, and I also run a newsletter about AI. Uh, this podcast, you know, we deal with multimodal AI, which is, you know, AI models, and I'm speaking loosely here, which can handle, you know, different kinds of modalities, you know, maybe text and images, uh, text and audio, video and audio. And ideally, maybe they can generate stuff based on the modalities in which they were trained under. Um, the most famous multimodal AI model, I would say, is DALL-E, D-A-L-L-E, uh, which is an open AI research project. It's not public yet, but it's really exciting. And I think it's a good example of a multimodal AI model. Um, I want to just set something aside and clear it up right away. So in today's episode, we'll be talking specifically about GPT-3. GPT-3 is not a multimodal model. It is text-based only. But for the purposes of this podcast in the future, whenever I'm talking about GPT-3, like, yes, this is a podcast called Multimodal. GPT-3 is not multimodal. Please keep it in mind. I want to get that out of the way. So anyway, so today's podcast, I'm going to be providing context and sort of expanding on a Substack newsletter piece I published last March, maybe a month and a half ago. It was called The Problem with Prompt Engineering. And so uh, I'm going to be also, you know, uh, sharing some of the feedback I got from people specifically on Reddit uh, and sort of maybe even providing a rebuttal. Uh, the person who claims to have originally came up with the term prompt engineering and coined it is someone named Gorn. And even he responded to my post on Reddit about it. And so I'll be sharing his comment and even providing a rebuttal to that, right? Now, so first off, I'm going to read the piece, and then after I'll provide additional commentary on it and then go through the rebuttals. But first, I want to just set up some context, okay? So let's zoom out even out of prompt engineering, right? Let's, let's talk about naming in general, right? So to be absolutely clear, I am not a fan of the name GPT-3, right? And... Part of the fun of the podcast is I can share some behind-the-scenes stuff. One of the behind-the-scenes things that I do want to share with you guys is I had to practice saying GPT-3 for the purposes of my YouTube channel. Like, I, you know, imagine, like, I spent 10, 20 minutes just saying GPT-3, GPT-3, GPT-3 continuously by myself because it is such a mouthful of a name, <laughs> right? It is a mouthful. And I, you know, like I understand, like, you know, it's it maybe has academic roots. OpenAI was not expecting GPT-3 to be so popular, but, you know, it is a mouthful of a name. I hate how each letter and the number rhymes. GPT-3. I hate that it rhymes. I hate that it's got a dash in it. And um, I also think it sounds gross. <laughs> like if you just read out like GPT-3, it sounds like a gross name. And, you know, we've just decided that, you know, we've created a whole developer community around a name which kind of sucks, right, and is a mouthful. And on top of that, like, um, it's not even accurate. So, like, whenever we're talking about GPT-3, um, technically we're referring to a specific engine called DaVinci, which has 175 billion parameters. But, like, yes, GPT-3 is the third version but, like, you know, there's Ada and Babbage, which are other engines under the GPT-3 bucket, which do not have the same parameter count as DaVinci. So, like, anyways, so 
like the the my main issue in general and just to give context i think names are important right like if somebody doesn't know anything about coding if they're not from the tech world if they have nothing to do with us and what we do a name like gpt3 it does not help right like it does not encourage someone who knows nothing about it to be interested it sounds very confusing and intimidating it sounds complicated you know it's not catchy and names namings so and and i think at the same at the same time it risks sort of inclusion right like you know somebody who's non-technical when they hear a name like gpt3 to be honest i think it makes them want to run for the hills like you know it's it's just not a friendly usable convenient sounding name and uh so i don't like the name and at the same time you know i i was heavily I think naming is important. I was heavily influenced by sort of a, a tech conference I was at. This is maybe 2014, 2015. They had a director or a VP from Slack uh, at the speaking at the event. And somebody asked him, like, you know, why, what is the key to Slack's growth and success? Like, like what is one of those things, right? And surprisingly, even though he's a tech guy, um, you know, he specifically said, he thinks there's some real merit to the name. Like it really helps in terms of a consumer distribution context to have a name like Slack, right? And it, you know, it's it's short. It's you know maybe it's it's cool. You know, I, you know it's maybe not as accurate accurate or descriptive, but I, I you know he believed that there was something to helping spread the the concept or the product or the idea based on the name you've given it right and like honestly a name like gpt3 when you tell your friends about it they they don't get caught up in the idea they just get confused by the name like they need to get over that hurdle first and it's a mouthful they gpt what gtp i i've heard people say gtp instead of gpt right and like <laughs> you know they ask like what, what does it stand for you say oh generative pre-trained transformer Right. And like, like, fine. Like, I understand, you know, tech has a history. Like, you know, you come up with these acronyms, you know, and like, like that lot of success, just like PHP apparently stands for something. And like, it's still fine. Right. But the thing is, you know, I, I think GPT-3 has a lot of potential for consumers. Like, I think everyday people can use it. Right. And I, you know, I just like, I don't like the name. <laughs> I don't think it helps with virality. Um, and I understand it's an artifact of an academic process and it wasn't as intentional, but, you know, I, I think it's ironic. Like programmers will spend days like thinking of a variable name or a function name, but when it comes to naming our entire developer community after a certain technology, the name we just put a sticker on, it said GPT-3, right? So anyway, so, so the context and so naming is really important and, you know, like I'll, I'll, you know, I'll disclose some ideological stuff, you know, my, my background, you know, I used to work in marketing, Right. I've been a coder my whole life. You know, I started coding when I was 10 years old. But, you know, I, I do tend to think of these things in this way. And so you might not agree. And I just want to disclose that bias to you that maybe I value it more than you. But definitely GPT-3, not the best name. <laughs> right. Uh, and so now that I've got that out of the way, I think my, my further problem in this piece is just the name we've given prompt engineering. Right. Um. And so I'm going to continue the piece now that I've got that out of the way, <laughs> right? And by the way, the whole, I think GPT-3 is a bad name is a separate Substack newsletter piece that I wrote. I encourage you to check it out. But anyway, so this piece, the problem with prompt engineering, I'm now going to read it out. So prompt engineering is a real phenomenon. If you don't know, it's basically coming up with clever text-based scripts to make GPT-3 do what you want. 
For example, here's an example prompt to get GPT-3 to turn a movie title into emoji descriptions. And so I, I included that sample prompt, and it's like a classic sort of early GPT-3 prompt that people were really excited about. Someone in the community discovered it. Um, and I continue the piece to say, but my problem with prompt engineering is simply the name we've given it. I'm not sure where it came from. I'm assuming it has got some machine learning basis behind it, but it's a very intimidating sounding name. Sure, you have to think about character limits, and you have to be clever with GPT-3 to get it to do what you want, so it's not that straightforward, and it does require making some design decisions. But also, you know, it can become complex as you combine different uh, prompts in parallel, and you need to commercialize this prompt reliably and safely. However, sure, like, that's all true. However, is prompt engineering really engineering? Is it really as complex as other branches of engineering? Broadly speaking, you often hear criticism from people like software is not engineering or that computer science is not science because it has the word science in it. Uh, this is debatable, maybe, but I don't think it's crazy to say that prompt engineering is nowhere near as hard as software engineering or CS. Uh, here's the thing. Our current understanding of prompt engineering is that it's all about using natural language, i.e. usually English, to describe a task, sharing some examples, pushing a button, and watching AI do stuff for us. This is as straightforward as a process can get. A child with no formal engineering training could do this, so why are we calling it engineering? I think part of the problem is that there are very few labels that fit this example-based programming paradigm. It's not quite code, and it's not quite English, so we call it a prompt. At the same time, it's very straightforward, but could get more complicated as you commercialize. So we call it engineering? I guess? Maybe it's a safety thing, but safety and risk is not a concept exclusive to engineering, that only engineers can inherently understand, think through, and implement in the real world. I'm sure people said the same thing about web development, or desktop software, or every layer of the technical stack. Something along the lines of, how is this even engineering? It's so straightforward. And sure, maybe this article will come to haunt me in the future if prompt engineering ends up being something with far more depth and complexity, expanding outwards into various subfields. But at the same time, I genuinely feel like things are different. As language models get better over time, in theory, they should require less prompting and a lot less engineering, quote-unquote, as the years go by. The AI model should be able to understand what we want to happen with a lot less hand-wringing or training on our, part, on our part. Prompt engineering itself may be a temporary band-aid solution and term we are just throwing out there until the language models get better and entirely human-like. Labels don't matter early on, but as GPT-3 community grows, I think it's worth bringing some consideration into the names we are giving things. I was recently at a Clubhouse event, and I hated telling people who don't know anything about GPT-3 to look into prompt engineering, since they were very curious about how to make it do stuff. Prompt engineering sounds way more superfluous than what the job actually is, and honestly, it just sounds intimidating. At the same time, the name sells GPT-3 short. The name doesn't give it the credit it deserves. GPT-3 can communicate in natural languages, multiple languages spoken around the world, and often just get what you mean and know what you want it to do. The breakthrough of GPT-3 is that it doesn't require advanced kinds of AI trickery and engineering to make it work. So why do we stick with this name? 
I also want to make this point quite clear because I think it's important. I think the name particularly scares off non-technical people from diverse backgrounds because it makes the whole process of using GPT-3 sound a lot harder than it actually is. To them, it sounds like they still can't participate in AI unless they are already Silicon Valley engineering insiders. If we want to increase the diversity in our community and bring in people from all walks of life, especially those who are non-technical, I think a great step forward would be calling prompt engineering something else, something more user-friendly and inclusive, which actually reflects the inherent usability of GPT-3 anyways. I don't have a name suggestion to propose to you here, but I do think this idea has some merit and is worth further discussion. It's not too late to change the arbitrary label we've given things, and we're still very early on. At the same time, we have some real opportunity to do some good here, so it's worth a shot. So that was the piece. Uh, again, it's a Substack newsletter. Uh, you know, I appreciate you sticking through that readout. I apologize if it was a little bit long. Now I'm going to be adding commentary, and then we will be moving into sort of the rebuttals section. I'll be sort of sharing some of the feedback and responding. So, like, so at the beginning, I sort of gave an example, and I said, you know, the first thing I wrote is prompt engineering is a real phenomenon, and, you know, I so that part is really important, right? I I think it is something new. You know, I think it's it's not quite code. It's not quite English, right? You have to be clever, but not a genius, you know? And it's it's something that has kind of been the dream of computers, in my opinion, from the beginning, is I can just tell it to do stuff in English, and it does that stuff, <laughs> right? And, and like maybe the, the usability and the convenience of GPT-3, you know, maybe it's it's just so awesome, that we just, we lack the courage while naming it, right? That we said, this thing is so awesome. It could do all these awesome things, but we don't want to oversell it. So let's call it prompt engineering, right? And obviously it's limited. It, you know, it doesn't fully understand all the time. It might take a few attempts or shots to do it, but you know, every once in a while it can do it what you ask, right? And, and so it's just, it's just a new phenomenon, right? And so, yes, it's a new phenomenon, but when you get a new phenomenon, you know, you should have a name which sort of represents it well, fairly, accurately. And, you know, because GPT-3 specifically is a commercial product, I, I, you, know, you know, I do think the name, like I talked about, is important for virality and those kinds of things. So, so again, just providing commentary, some more. Um, I said the name was intimidating. I said, look, I can understand the reasons why you might put the label engineering on it. You know, there's character limits you have to consider and certainly design decisions you have to make, you know, as the, you know, you can have a whole sequence or chain of prompts that are going on in parallel and obviously integrating uh, the OpenAI API for GPT-3 into your web app or mobile app or programming library. Like these things maybe might require a software engineer. I don't think that's quite the case. I don't think APIs anymore. I think it's sort of knowledge of APIs have sort of entered into the public zeitgeist. But for the purposes of this conversation, sure, we could say that that integration process might require engineering. But, you know, in the piece, I you know, the main things that I'm saying is, you know, this is a pretty usable usable product for something this powerful, which has so much complexity behind it, because you can just communicate in English or your own language and it can sort of do these things for you. Um, that is an incredible breakthrough, right? And so, like, yes, you might have to provide examples in your prompt here and there, right? This is a new, maybe you could say it's an example-based paradigm, you know, programming paradigm that you give it examples and it does stuff. 
but I, you know, I, I still don't really classify it as engineering, right? Um, and let's let's talk about like I talked about the community, right? So, you know, prompt engineering I don't think is a very inclusive name, like especially if somebody is non-technical. You know, you are putting engineering in the name of something, right? And like, you know, it's so just just to provide further context, right? So I'm Canadian, right? So in Canada, engineering is a professional designation, right? Like, you know, you need to be you need to be trained, you need to be certified. There's a whole body. Like, you can't really put on your resume that you're an engineer unless you've you've had that training and you have that certification from the body, right? And you know, we we do tend to in the tech industry put the words engineering into things, right? And but that doesn't make it true, and it doesn't mean it's accurate, right? Engineering is still a professional designation with a rich history, right? And I just think in the tech world, yeah, yeah, he's a software engineer. Yeah, like that's his title. Like to us, it's no big deal, right? But to people who are non-technical, when they hear the word engineering, they might make that assumption that it's for engineers, that I need to be an engineer in order to use it, right? And so the name is is just not inclusive, specifically to people who are non-technical, right? And like just to provide some further commentary, sort of the genesis of this piece is I was doing a clubhouse event and somebody asked like, you know, somebody technical asked, how do you train it? We said, you got to look into this thing called prompt engineering. He thought it was dumb. And then somebody non-technical asked, you know, how do I communicate with it? How do I teach it? And I said, oh, you got to look at this thing called prompt engineering. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm laughing right now because I'm like, it's the dumbest thing. It's the dumbest sounding name to refer to someone to look up this thing. Like, he's like, like, what is it? Like, <laughs> like, what, what, what is a prompt? And what is like, what, what prompt engineering? Like, that sounds like, you know, like, so. The genesis of this piece is I could just tell people who are non-technical were very intimidated by the name. And I just, I don't think the name is particularly inclusive. And look, like, you know, diversity is an issue with tech, right? And I, I think if we can at least name something that is, is you know, more non-technical at that level that everyone can relate to it, maybe understand it, it sounds less intimidating, that is a way we can be more inclusive and improve the diversity in our community. Right. And so anyways, like I, I sort of concluding the piece and saying like, yes, we didn't put a lot of thought into the name. Yes, it was it's just sort of appears to be evolving that way. But I also think it's not too late. Right. The, the You know, the GPT-3 Slack community, I think I saw today it has roughly like 60,000 members. You know, this is the beginning of a larger thing. Like if you follow the open AI scaling papers, you know, like like essentially the models may will actually get better every year a lot better right uh because of all these different reasons right uh that's that's what's predicted and so like we're at the beginning of something right and so it's not too late for us to backtrack on the arbitrary names we've given it it is arbitrary gpt3 has been around for less than a year right like we can change course here right and if we change course now in the future more people might be into the community and you know feel more included and might actually contribute, right? And I think part of it is deep down inside, I think really actually non-technical non-technical people are the greater opportunity when it comes to GPT-3. People who don't know how to code, people who don't know anything about AWS, you know, um, I think they can exhibit more creativity because they don't have the same biases that we do in the tech industry, right? Um, 
Certainly some of the most biased people I've spoken to when it comes to GPT-3 are especially the people who have PhDs and all this stuff specifically in machine learning. And I almost think if you if you want to be a good prompt engineer, I almost wonder if, if that kind of PhD in machine learning is actually a hindrance uh, when it comes to your ability to write creative quality prompts and to sort of... Um, leverage the gpt3 core technology anyway so that's that's just a side opinion but uh like all i'm saying is you know in the post like the additional commentary i have is it's it's not too late to change course it could do a lot of good a lot of people who wouldn't have been interested prior they might actually be interested and i you know like i said as well like the 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 name doesn't do it justice gpt3 is a usable product it's you know i'd say it's almost it's pretty much consumer like you can just write it and it does stuff i think that's pretty incredible and it's also not accurate, right? Over time, as the AI models get better, you should need less engineering and less prompting, right? And so that's the additional commentary I have. I'm now going to just be proceeding and sort of providing a rebuttal and sharing some of the discussion on Reddit as a result of the piece. So specifically, this is discussion on r slash GPT-3, which is the GPT-3 subreddit active community. I participate a lot awesome group of people. And to be clear, I am providing a rebuttal, but this is a constructive rebuttal. You know, I'm interested in the merits of the idea. I appreciate all the people who commented. Uh, and, you know, I just, I, I do think there is some answer here. I haven't quite found it yet. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I appreciate everybody participating. And now I'm going to be sort of responding to them. So, and I did respond in some of the comments, but I guess this is my first sort of podcast vocal audio based response. So I'll be starting from the bottom up. And so somebody wrote, um, maybe it's more like in the sense of the word social engineering, that is manipulating people into giving what you want to hear. So this is, he's, you know, he or she's talking about the nature of prompting and why it's so unique. And I think there's some merit in it. Um, I, I think when, when we're talking about prompt design, quote unquote, or prompt engineering, um, it is about cleverness. Like it is about, I think that's the first thing is, you know, can you in a clever way get GPT-3 to do what you want, right? And cleverness can be, uh, you know, your use of language, like how you get it to do that, right? And there's also other kinds of cleverness, like you know, the more sort of tokens or characters, like basically how long your prompt is sort of drives up your cost as well, right? With the whole open AI API pricing model. And so there's cleverness there. I think the other part is, is creativity as well, right? Like I've had better performing prompts where I give some crazy sort of Star Wars-like description, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> you know, like that kind of if you if I sprinkle some of that like that you know that create that creative dimension I found led to better higher fidelity more creative outputs from GPT three right so yeah like it's you know this comment is 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 an interesting one like they're comparing it to social engineering which is more of a hacker kind of word but it is kind of what's going on here right and does prompt engineering adequately capture that essence of prompt design. Probably not. I don't like. I don't think so. But, anyways, another comment was, uh, "You need to be good with language to engineer anything. Language is patterns, and the better you are at finding and defining patterns, the better engineer you will be, in my opinion." 
Uh, this is the direction things are going. Coding paradigms are becoming increasingly abstract, which makes them easier to use. While a gifted five-year-old can create a prompt in the playground, that doesn't take away it from its power or complexity. Note that five-year-olds can also use pencils, which were used in abundance to create Disneyland. So while we may not call a five-year-old an engineer in a professional context, they are still engineering. So, yeah, like I, I can see where this comment is coming from. Like, essentially, the, the argument is it's a tool, right? Like, it's it's not really as much about um, it, the person. And maybe there's something about engineers that, you know, um, like they... Uh, they that's part of maybe the heart of engineering right is the tools and you need to be good at writing and identifying patterns so like you know i'm gonna, I'm gonna push back on on that in a way like first of all uh specifically disney has a term called imagineers right they're not engineers they're imagineers right uh their role is imagineering right and in the disney case from what i understand culturally their engineering group is, it's its like they want creative engineers. They want, you know, interdisciplinary kinds of people, right? And maybe maybe engineering, because it does require physical kinds of objects and the interactions. There's maybe complex coding and uh, R&D that goes into it, right? But I, I don't know if the Disney case is, is quite as strong. Like, if, if it was the case that engineers are creative and interdisciplinary and great writers, they would have just called them engineers right but i i would add like i don't get you know i you know i work with a lot of engineers they don't strike me as particularly good creative interdisciplinary people necessarily and i don't know about writing either right i think they're very good at writing maybe really long uh, answers on stack overflow or pr requests but um you know like software engineers at least i'm speaking are not good communicators right uh, written form is what they prefer but they they are not good communicators in general uh, writing wise too I, I don't think software engineers do a good job explaining things i don't think they do a good job elaborating on things and maybe part of it is just the nature of the work like everything is so specific it's always in a problem solving context you're always speaking to others who are in the same thing but when i think of great writers i don't think about engineers right and just, just a side note, like when I write code, one of the things ideologically I believe in, I comment my code a lot, like almost to the point that I've, you know, I've had to speak to team leads in the past and ask them if I'm overdoing it. Right. And so writing is something I care about. I almost sometimes think of myself more as a writer than a coder. Right. And so the, the thing is like, is engineering particularly suited to the discipline of writing? Right. I don't know. I think lawyers do a lot of writing. Right. People who write screenplays do a lot of writing, right? Is writing something exclusive to engineering? You know, I, you know, I, I don't know, right? Um, and yes, a five-year-old can write a screenplay and an engineer can write a screenplay. But I, I think, yes, it's the same tool, but I'm just saying in terms of usability, you, like you just don't need an engineering degree in order to use GPT-3, right? Uh, and so... Look, I responded like back last month and I wrote, this is this is a refreshing take in some sense. There's a beauty to this abstraction, which can encourage and instill the culture of engineering in everyone. Right. I mean, that's what I wrote. But I just, you know, one of the other things, just summarizing feedback I got from people after publishing this post and talking to others about it. There's something weird in the tech community where we think 
engineers are the only capable people who can do anything at all, <laughs> right? Like they're the only ones who can have tough problems, you know, and find solutions for them over time, right? And that's simply not true, right? Lawyers have to problem solve, you know, things over time. City urban planners have to. Teachers have to solve a lot of problems. Judges have to solve a lot of, a lot of problems. Police officers have to solve a lot of problems, right? Why do we assume engineers are the only people who can do things in the world, right? And, you know, um, I also don't think engineering necessarily has a culture either. I know I wrote that, but I'm like, now I'm thinking about it like, when I think of engineering, like I think of like bridges, you know, and like, you know, real like, you know, massive infrastructure kinds of projects, right? Um, and, you know, safety is something I think about when it comes to engineering, like a bridge collapses, you know, that engineer, the civil engineer who's head of the project, they're in a lot of trouble, right? Um, but tinkering specifically, I, I think maybe engineers have a, a lot of uh, interest in tinkering. I think you tinker and then you become an engineer, but I don't know if in your work, engineers do that much tinkering. Maybe outside of work, you do tinkering. I certainly think scientists tinker a lot, you know, and to provide some distinction, coders tinker, but do engineers tinker? And are they the only ones who tinker? People, people who do industrial design, product design, they tinker as well. Architects tinker, right? Like is, is tinkering is, 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 do we want to describe this culture of tinkering as something exclusive to engineering, right? I, you know, I, poets would say they tinker, <laughs> right? But, you know, why do we assume engineers are the only people who could tinker and, and solve problems long-term that are really important and there's a lot of money behind it? I don't know. On, honestly, I don't know. And I think this is one of the biases of the tech industry, right? Um, moving on to another comment. I don't want to harp too much, but yeah, someone wrote like, uh, some things I've learned is, you know, the more high quality examples you provide, the better your results will be. I agree with that. Uh, try including the definition of the task you wish GPT-3 to complete within the prompt itself. I find it helpful for more abstract concepts. Uh, th this is, uh, this is a good, this is good advice. I, I would, I would agree with all of that. Uh, again, not engineering, <laughs> right? And then I guess the top comment someone wrote, or I guess the second highest comment was, um, uh, at the very least, the phrase suggests correctly that it's not as simple as show it some stuff and it will do the same. It's more like if you want to do a particular thing, carefully chosen examples will often do better than the first ones that spring to mind. Um, I, I can agree with that. I, I think that, that's part of the, the, the nature of the beast. Like, it's hard to come up with a name <laughs> that succinctly describes it. Um, let me see if I responded. Uh, yeah, I just wrote I agree, and I wish I could think of another name that captures this non-obvious part. Uh, someone else responded, engineering is just making stuff work. Not sure what your problem is with that. And I responded, like, look, it's a professional designation, you know, it's a career, you know, it has safety requirements you need to meet. There's certain specific courses around math and physics you need to take, right? So I don't know if I agree with that. Um, anyways, the, and so the, the main, the, the, so at one point, Gorn, who's, who's sort of the person who claims to have coined the term propped engineering, he commented on my post, and I'm going to read it out in verbatim and also respond to it. Uh, so he wrote, I did in fact coin prompt prompt 
programming slash engineering. I also introduced the bolding convention incidentally. I was pleased with my coinage because it works for several reasons. First, prompt has mostly positive connotations. It's hard to think of any bad use of the word prompt. This is the same rationale Bellman had for dynamic programming. Second, it is indeed prompt, because you can program a new model by meta-learning and get feedback in seconds, whereas a regular RNN might require days or even years if you needed to compile a dataset. Third, we should think of a designing a prompt for GPT-3 as programming, because we are programming a weird machine. GPT-3 only predicts tokens. All the other stuff is emergent, by emergent byproducts. We are trying to write programs in a strange dialect in which a neural network tries to LARP, LARP, I don't know what that means, as how random people online would respond to the prompt. Just like regular programming, uh, sometimes layers of abstraction leak. Look at the problems people have, which ultimately stem from BPEs. Prompts need to be versioned, tested, combined, debug, and optimized to save tokens in the, ABI, in the API, just like regular programs. People also know that programming is very hard, and it's easy to write very inefficient buggy programs. While a lot of ML researchers and pundits have the bizarre attitude that you can just throw any random shit into a prompt, and if the model doesn't, do tel doesn't telepathically read your mind to return the right answer, then the model is wrong. So naming it prompt programming reminds us that the results of a program reflect the competence of a programmer more than the machine and that any result is at best a lower bound on how good it can be. As we have seen with GPT-3 prompts, sometimes people have produced huge gains in accuracy by refactoring or improving prompts, just like people routinely optimize programs written by bad or careless coders to run orders of magnitude faster. If someone spent five seconds writing an assembler program, which could only multiply three-digit numbers but failed, Look, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read all of this, but fourth engineering is as much art as science and prompt engineering is the same. We have built up a body of knowledge and principles and working prompts, which a prompt engineer can draw up to implement desired functionality, preferably off the shelf, while ba balancing many real world constraints such as accuracy, token consumption. And, and you know, he wrote more. Uh, I often can look at a prompt, someone's prompt, and say this isn't right and suggest how to improve it, but I cannot produce any math mathematical proof of how it's wrong. All that sounds like engineering to me. And so, again, Gorn is the person who claims to have coined prompt engineering. Uh, it was kind of him to respond uh, to it and provide that context, which I didn't know when I wrote it. Um, I, you know, I also encourage you guys to check him out on, follow him on Reddit. He has a very cool newsletter. Uh, he also runs a cool subreddit, r slash ML scaling, which I love to follow. So anyways, and I know he sort of coined it and, and maybe it just grew into something much more than he originally conceived. But, you know, my rebuttal is like, again, so first, I, I mean, his first point was something like, um, you know, it's the... The, he has some rationale based on dynamic programming. I look, I I can understand like that's you know that's really clever, uh, but it, you know my my response is like, uh, so what, <laughs> right? Like this is a name for something which affects a whole community, which could get a lot bigger. And look, I'm sure a lot of masters and PhD students in computer science, let alone programming language compiler history, uh, they really find that name really clever. I don't I don't think it's worth it to have something like to 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 trade off like inclusivity for a whole community to a clever name that you and a few insiders might appreciate. I don't appreciate that name. And I I'm a developer, right? Like I develop professionally, right? I don't think that's the best basis, right? Uh for for a name, right? Second, it is indeed prompt. He said kind of because it's real time. 
I don't know if real-time programming, like, this is not a new thing, right? Like, I even think Python has idle, I believe, which is like, you know, you, you sort of write stuff and it responds, right? Like, I, I don't think that's new. Maybe I don't understand. Like, maybe that's what's going on. And then he said, you know, designing a prompt for GPT-3 is, is kind of like programming, right? Uh, in the way it sort of reflects on the person and the design, um, I, I don't, I don't, and their design, I don't know if I quite agree with that either, you know, like all of our work reflects on us. Like an architect would say, my work reflects on me. And if you're having issues in my building, it's my fault, <laughs> right? Taking ownership and being responsible for stuff is not exclusive to programming and engineering, right? And also like, let's be clear here. Programming is called programming because it's not English, right? Like you are writing very abstract characters, that's why we call it programming and coding. In GPT-3, you don't really write, I don't, you know, to be honest, you don't write any characters at all, right? If you're, if you're in the playground, right? It's, it's, so it's just not programming, right? Um, it's, you know, it's more like writing than it is like programming, right? And look, and then he said, fourth, engineering is as much art and science and prompt engineering is the same. Um, I, look, I don't, I don't agree with that either, <laughs> Right. If it's an art, call it an art. And I, you know, I, my criticism is what? We don't assume artists uh, see their work to have science. Like we think that it's just pure art and self-expression. No, you know, my friend's a filmmaker. He's writing a screenplay and he told me these are all the problems in my script right now and I need to make them work within all these constraints, whether it's budget, whether it's sort of the the real, the, the environment he's created and everything needs to fit within that environment, whether it's audience, internationalization, you know, like engineers, again, are not the only people capable of solving hard problems that require a lot of thought within some framework over time, right? Like it's, it, it's just like, I, I don't agree with that at all, right? Um, and by the way, maybe we should ask actual engineers, like people who have done it for 20, 30 years, maybe design some bridges, maybe are behind some big infrastructure projects, maybe people who've done significant stuff in networking. Would you describe the nature of prompt engineering, quote unquote, as prompt engineering? Do you think it reflects the history and culture of engineering? How do you feel about it? I would love to hear, right? And certainly about complexity, um, especially since the complexity should get simpler over time, right? As, as the models scale and, and become more, uh, more effective. So anyways, look, I, I don't mean to bash Gore's response. You know, I, I, you know, I appreciate him chiming in. And again, I think this was something that he just sort of came up with at the time and it just grew into other things. My issue is just, this is something which we'll have to stick with in the future. And I'm just not a fan of it, right? Nothing I can do other than sort of <laughs> like raising this point, you know? Um, and then the, the top comment, and I, I just want to maybe close here. Uh, it was, look, AI is going to destroy, destroy a high proportion of jobs over the next couple of decades. The least we can do is add a bit of mystique to the process. So some of us can find work using AI on other people's behalf. I suggest calling it prompt chain priming or cyber neural inception or something like that. And it was, you know, the, the top comment, the most upvoted. And I just, I really like this idea because maybe there is something to like wanting to give something a complicated name, like GPT-3, a complicated name, like the nature of the work, because we have our own interests and it's our own interests. If, you know, if we want to 
you know, make money from this in the future, if we want to be employed in this, if this might be the last sort of work left, we do want to make it sound more complicated than it really is, right? We want to keep it just to us. And maybe there's something there about human nature, right? Maybe there's something there about self-interest and all these other things. But again, the cost of this is, again, inclusivity. It's, you know, it's, it's having a name which is actually accurate, which is actually apt, which actually can bring in other people who are not from our community. And they might make contributions which sort of accelerate the community way further than it could be if it was just the same Silicon Valley coders and engineers hanging out and working on the latest stuff, right? So anyways, I think, I think that was a great point. Um, two other, I guess the one other point that somebody came up and I thought it was fair, uh, was I, this wasn't on Reddit. This was private. Someone sort of told me like, um, uh, uh, you know, the name doesn't matter as much because, um, again, the prompt engineer is writing a prompt and they're going to build an application and most of the world will use that application not the prompt or the GPT-3 API playground directly, right? And I thought that was fair, right? Like the maybe the end consumer from OpenAI's perspective and from our whole community's perspective, they don't need to know the specifics of GPT-3 as a name or even prompt engineering as a name uh, because overall, they're, they're never going to know about it directly. They're going to be using it indirectly. So I thought that was fair. Another point is, and I spoke to sort of an OG sort of engineer software guy, you know, since the 80s kind of thing. And he was like, listen, we said the same thing about every new technology, that this is the easiest thing ever, but it always ends up being so much more. And since it becomes so much more and becomes its own discipline and its own thing, that's sort of why we sort of toss these labels on it, but don't be so quick to judge, right? And I think that's a fair point. Uh, again, my rebuttal is prompt engineering. You're supposed to need less of it over time as the AI improves. And also, look, engineering is not the only field in the world where there's a lot more to things than you realize, right? Somebody who does lighting on a Hollywood movie set will tell you the same thing. Like there's so much to lighting, you have no idea. There's all these different subfields and all these different people have opinions on on lighting. A biologist will tell you the same thing, right? Like, you know, there's, when you go look in from the microscope, you know, uh, things are so radically different. It's not as simple. These are, you know, anyway. So again, I guess I'm critical of just, just that like bias that might be there. And then finally, I just, I just want to say, like, I've spent this whole podcast, uh, sort of talking about the engineering part of prompt engineering to be like, just on the record, like, I'm not a fan of the prompt part of it either. (laughs) Right. Like, I just like, I don't know, like, why we call it a prompt. You know, I know Gwern sort of answered it, but I'm not quite sold. I guess part of the problem is it's not quite uh, again, it's not quite code. It's not quite English. But is it a prompt? You know, like, I I don't know if we want to toss that label out. Why can't we just call it writing? You know, like I I had a tweet uh, the other day and I wrote poetry engineering and then I wrote screenplay engineering. You know, I wrote all these sort of different writing disciplines. And if you told all these writers that, listen, like ours, ours is a prompt, you know, because we have to be clever with our words, they'd be like, so do we. And then we'd be like, yeah, but, you know, there's all these other constraints like cost and all these other things that we have to think about. And they'd be like, what? Same with us. (laughs) Right. Like our editors give us requirements. You know, there's certain costs associated with our, you know, our writing and our screenplay, you know, you put in a scene that takes place abroad, you're, you know, you're paying a lot more than if you just shot it locally, right? Uh, and so, 
uh, I guess that was sort of just my, my, my final thought on it is like, look, I'm not a fan of the prompt. Unfortunately, we don't have time for me to, to criticize and rant the prompt part either. <laughs> and so anyways, if you have made it all the way to this podcast, I, I just, I, to the end of this podcast, I just sincerely, you know, I want to thank you and congratulate you on making it to the end. Um, this is a huge rant. I apologize. That has been going on for weeks now. I'm glad to finally publish it as a podcast because it's just been bothering me. And I, I think I care about this topic a lot. I think we could do a lot better. And so that's why I've shared it. Uh, anyways, I look forward to hearing the discussion from more of you on maybe alternative names. I think I think that's what we need here is we need a better name and we should try to propose it, right? Like OpenAI is a company. Uh, you know, they can change their documentation at any time. And maybe we should try. I'm not sure. And perhaps I'm wrong. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to hear on the other side as well if you disagree. Uh, anyway, so that's today's podcast. Uh, thank you again for listening. If you're not already subscribed, I encourage you to subscribe with any podcast app that you use. You can always subscribe and follow me on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter. And you're welcome to follow along with my newsletter. I'm going to be including links in the description for this in the podcast notes uh, so that you'll be able to check out all these links and maybe connect with me. Uh, That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.